Hello again, it's your friendly neighborhood host, J.T. Wheatley, back for another episode of History Comics Podcast, this time with the life of Lev Gleason, the daredevil of the Golden Age. It is sometimes ironic that the term Golden Age is attributed to the beginnings of many mediums, including comic books, as often those are the times where the rules are literally being written. It is during those times that comic books were formed to the medium we know today, setting the ground rules for all to follow. However, to discover those rules and boundaries, you needed daredevils to think outside the box to push them, and no one and one of those was Lev Gleason. A publisher and editor who was there from the beginning and played a hand when the first comic book in America was published, he later set out on his own to further innovate the medium in helping introduce the crime genre in the comic books. However, Gleason's own personal and professional politics, which helped drive him, also brought many enemies against him, leading him to sadly retreat from the very comic books he helped found. Never left to left a legacy that all comic book fans can be thankful for, with the medium being better for him being in it. Lev Gleason was born Leverett Gleason on February 25, 1898, in Wichita, Massachusetts. He was baptized a Protestant on March 26, 1898, though he would later reject organized religion in his adult life. Gleason would serve in France during World War I in the Army and would be discharged in September of 1919. After the service, Gleason would stay in Paris for five months, studying with the American Students Detachment at the Sorbonne, which worked with army leaders to create a special course for soldiers who remained in Paris. He eventually moved back to his hometown of Newton, where Gleason tried to become a stockbroker. He would later move to the communications side of the business, where he edited the company's monthly newsletter, but that couldn't hold his interest either, though he found publishing far more appealing and an indicator for his future career. As for his personal life, Gleason would be already be divorced twice with a son from his first marriage. Despite all this, he would later move to Manhattan, New York when he was 34 years of age, though it will still be a few more years before he'll find his calling in the magazine business. Lev Gleason would begin working in sales advertising in the, the Open Road for Boys magazine, which catered for young boys' love of adventure and outdoors in 1925. There he helped uh, create the club for Open Road Pioneers, which offered pens featuring a coonskin-wearing cap, rifle-carrying uh, adventurer to members. Gleason would soon become an advertising uh, manager before moving to New York City, where he decided he wanted his own business. With the Great Depression setting in, Liv Gleason was disappointed in the politics and desperately looked for hope. He found that in Franklin Delano Roosevelt when he, took, who, when he took down the corrupt Mayor Walker of New York City. Gleason would admire Roosevelt for his whole life, along with much of his politics, which were soon sh- sh- shaping leftward. In 1933, Lev Gleason became the advertising manager at Eastern Color Publishing at the time, an organization of printers in Waterbury, con- Connecticut. His boss was uh, Harry w- Wildenberg, and uh, he worked alongside uh, Charles Gaines, whose son William would also play a pivotal role in comic books. One of Eastern Color's main jobs was printing the Southern color comic strip section for such major papers like the Boston Globe and Providence Journal. Of note, attempts to create a reprint of comic strips had been tried several times before, but due to the lack of color and original material, they had failed up to that point. Gleason and his team at Eastern Color found a way around this when they discovered they could shrink comics so they could fit into a um, two to a page onto a standard tabloid-sized paper. With this, they helped develop the first American comic book, which was originally reprints of newspaper comics collected into a 64-page tabloid, 32 sheets folded and bound. This new comic book was the first given away by Gulf Oil for free at their gas stations. 
Gleason would later work with uh, PNG, Watina, and Canada Drive with print runs for 100000 to 250000 The first was called Funnies on Parade, first appearing in 1933, and Eastern Color would later produce Famous Funnies and a Century of Comics. However, the demand for these comics made Gleason and the rest of the Eastern Color realize they might, they might finally be a market for these comic book collections. It was time to give them a shot. On February of 1934, Eastern Color arranged 35,000 copies of Famous Funnies to be sold at 10 cents apiece, placing the book in the children's section in department stores. The comic sold out in a matter of weeks. With this success, Gleason contacted an American news, news company, the nation's largest magazine distributor, to get Famous Funnies under the newsstands. The first issue appeared on June of 1934, properly selling out as well, and the monthly comic book was born, along with the comic book industry when the imitators soon followed. One such notable imitator that appeared on February of 1935 was New Fun Comics that was published by National Public Periodicals, the future DC Comics, through this comic, as this comic contained not only reprints of newspaper strips, but original stories as well. By this point, there were five publishers in the medium, along with the comic studios to provide material for the growing number of titles, with seven new ones being introduced in 1936 alone. The comic book medium had officially arrived in the United States. That same year, Lev Gleason went to work full-time for United Features Syndicate, a division of Scripps Howard, where he became the first editor on Tip Top Comics, an Eastern uh, Color client, which featured comic reprints like Hal Foster's Tarzan and Al Castle Abner. Gleason would then create the Tip Top Cartoon Club, providing amateur artists a chance to submit scripts to the comic for, one, for a $1 prize. However, Gleason would be one of the many editors who turned down Superman by Jerry Siegel and John Schuster in 1937, a decision that every editor regretted in hindsight, as national periodicals accepted the comic for their new Action Comics number 1, and it was the launch of the golden age of comic books. Seeing the success of Superman did finally spur Gleason to set out on his own, as he felt that the comic book medium was strong enough to do so. Sadly, tragedy would strike Lev Gleason on July 25, 1938, when his son, Ralph, from his first marriage, drowned at White River near Stockbridge, Connecticut, at 16 years and 9 months of age. It will be a painful memory for Lev Gleason that he kept secret for years afterwards, with many of his family members and close friends never knowing he had a son. Also, to stay distracted from the tragedy, Gleason kept himself busy with his own publishing company. In 1939, Lev Gleason partnered with Arthur Bernard, an established magazine man, and Morris Latson to found Silver Street Comics, named after Bernard's uh, new Pontiac. There, Gleason hired writer-artist Jack Cole, who previously won the Open Road cartoon competition and lived Gleason's old magazine back in 1931. In the third issue on March of 1940, the character of Silver Streak was introduced, created by Joe Simon and Jack Binder, who would be the second speedster in American comics following The Flash, who debuted two months earlier, but beating out Johnny Quick. In addition, the Silver Streak had the power of flight as well, along with a kid sidekick, Mercury, and a pet falcon, The Wiz. Originally, the sales for Silver Streak were disappointing and wasn't helped by being filled with bewildering assortment of other characters, from Ace Powers to the Western Detective. Finally, Gleason and Cole took over the comic and began to make the villainous Claw, who appeared in the first issue, a regular fixture, constantly wrecking havoc as a monster that could grow several stories tall at will, along with having razor-sharp fangs and talons. In addition, the Claw also had a vehicle that can burrow through the ground. He soon became the perfect villain for Silver Street Comics, and now the series just needed a hero to match him. In issue number six, they introduced just that with the Daredevil, created by Jack Minder and Don Rico, 
with a later revamping by Jack Cole. The hero's name was Bart Hill, who as a young boy was tortured by a gang of thugs who left a boomerang-shaped scar on his chest along with murdering his father. The experience was so traumatic Hill was rendered mute, but as an adult donned a red and blue unitard with a spiked gold belt while wielding a boomerang that is shaped like the, the brand the, cur- the criminals carved into his chest, all in the name of fighting crime. Daredevil would fight the claw for five issues and was so successful Gleason would have the title of Silver Street Comics shrunk to emphasize Daredevil battles the claw. Also, as Daredevil quickly became the star of the comic, his inability to, to speak was conveniently dropped as well. With the growing comic, Gleason's publishing career was off and running, thus he rented out space at Parklex, a 19-story office building at 114 East and 32nd Street, which would be his offices for the rest of his publishing career. With his publishing career ramping up, Liv Gleason also started to involve his politics more as well. He believed the United States should enter World War II and was even have Daredevil fight Hitler in his own comic titled Daredevil Battles Hitler in July of 1941 where he gave Hitler a sock across the jaw following the example set by Captain America in Captain America comics a few months earlier. This was not uncommon in comic books as many creators had personal stakes in the war in Europe like creators of Captain America, two young Jewish boys with the names of Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. Gleason would also bring in two new artists, Charles Burrow and Bob Wood, who together were called Woodrow, to work at Silver Streak and Daredevil. Barrow would specifically work on Daredevil, writing and partially drawing the comic, along with revamping his origin in Daredevil No. 18, August of 1943, this time having Bart Hill being raised by Aborigines in the Australian outback, which explains his skill with the boomerang. Charles Barrow was also introduced the Little Wise Guys in Daredevil No. 13 on October 1942, which is similar to the Newsboy Legion at the DC Comics, being a gang of kids who assisted Daredevil on his missions. They soon became so popular that they replaced Daredevil as the star of his own comic in issue number 70 on January 1950, which coincided with superheroes becoming less popular in American comic books anyway. Charles Burrow and Bob Wood would later be a part of a famous incident in 1941 when Liv Gleason acquired a few million pages of pulp paper on the condition it had to be used immediately due to the fact that pulp paper was scarce due to the war effort. With this, Gleason tasked Barrow, Wood, Jerry Robinson, Bernie Klein, and Mort Meskin to create a 64-page comic book over the weekend with Daredevil fighting Hitler in October of 1941, complete with the subtitle The Greatest Name in Comics. The group got together at Woodrow's studio on 57th Street, right when the New York City would have one of the worst snowstorms in its history. During the weekend, they ran out of food and thus drew, drew straws over who had to set out to get some. Klein got the short straw, and after they dug themselves out of the front door, which was blocked by piles of snow, Klein set out, returning a few hours later with two gallons of milk and a dozen eggs. Since the studio didn't have a kitchen, the group just peeled off the ceramic tiles from a bathroom to use as a cooking surface for the eggs. Despite all this, they delivered the comic on Monday to Liv Gleason for production, which with the comic becoming a huge success. So much so, Silver Street's comics soon became the, the boastful subtitle, The uh, Greatest Name in Comics, and by the next year it was changed to the comic magazine that dared to be different. Lev Gleason would eventually phase out his old partners, Arthur Barnard and Morris Latson, with new companies like New Friday Publications, Comic House, and Magazine House, and would later partner with Dan Gilman. Gleason would also start to make a name for himself in the local liberal progressive community, joining the TAC, Theater Arts Committee, an organization of performers and producers concerned about the rise of European fascism, with Gleason calling himself a tavern proprietor. 
He was only with the group for a year, but it was here that Gleason started to make a name for himself in left-wing politics. Tack would also advertise for Gleason's next venture, Friday, a civil rights magazine that covered topics from black Americans to anti-Semitism, on March 15th of 1941, where Gleason worked on the circulation and later business manager while Dan Gilmore was president. Friday was especially hostile to those who wished cooperation with Nazi Germany, targeting such figures as Henry Ford and Charles Lindbergh. However, many, Amer- many Americans, with memories still fresh from the horrors of World War I, were not in favor of military inf- intervention, and even Friday advocated against it as well, instead blaming Hitler's rise and the leaders of France and England. Lev Gleason would uh, even appear on a local radio program, The American Point of View, which Friday sponsored on WHN Radio AM of 1050, which was hosted by Jonathan Beck, the future announcer of the Adventures of Superman radio and TV show, where he gave the immortal lines, Look, up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman, along with being the voice of Bluto in the Popeye cartoons. Gleason will explain on the radio program the importance of the Lynn Lease Bill, which authorized the United States to provide the Allies with the war material, along with being America's first steps towards joining World War II. Ultimately, Friday folded due to a lack of ads, along with losing $800,000 to a million dollars over the two years of his existence, and was not helped by a $500,000 libel lawsuit by William Randolph Hearst when he was accused of being a Nazi sympathizer by the magazine. Thus, its last issue was on June 27, 1941. However, things were about to pick up for Lev Gleason and his comic book company, as Woodrow were about to present a new comic that would change the medium forever. One night in 1941, Charles Burrow was having dinner at one of his favorite hangouts, Armando's Heidi Ho Club, when a man approached him with an offer saying he had a private room with a beautiful girl for him to sleep with, as long as the man could watch. Burrow naturally turned him down, and was even more shocked next day when reading the morning newspaper that the man he saw was a sexual predator who would kidnap women and force them to have sex with men so he could watch. Burrow also had a had a fascination with true crimes, and this brush with an actual crime inspired him to try a new venture. Why not create a comic book telling these true crime stories? Soon, he and Bob Rudd proposed a crime comic book, Crime Does Not Pay, his title taken from the popular radio and MGM film series at the time, to Lev Gleason. Gleason loved going into a new genre, as despite the success of Daredevil, he was not a fan of superheroes, and he also knew the popularity of the genre would eventually fade. Thus, if his company and comics in general were going to survive, they needed to expand. Barrow and Wood making such a pitch was helped by the fact that Gleason paid well and even allowed profit sharing, along with cover credits to the editors, thus creators were encouraged to try new things at his company. With Crime Does Not Pay, Gleason even offered Barrow and Wood to have their names in the cover as well. The new comic was promoted to in Daredevil and Silver Street Comics in early 1942 and be published that June, where it replaced Silver Street with issue number 22, a common practice at the time, selling 200,000 copies. The first Crime Does Not Pay covered true stories like Murder Incorporated and Wild Bill Hickok, along with featuring the art of the future legend George Tusco. In Crime Does Not Pay number 24, Mr. Crime was introduced as the host and narrator of the series, which emphasized how each criminal was punished in the end, uttering the title of the comic, Crime Does Not Pay. By 1942, the comic book was so popular it was the subject of, a near, of an article in the New York World Telegram. The comic continued to be successful, selling nearly a million in issue in 1943, 1.5 million in 1945, before peaking in 1947 with 2 million in sales, outselling Captain Marvel and even Superman. 
Of course, crime does not pay, let the numerous imitators such as gangsters can't win, crime must pay the penalty, and lawbreakers on the loose, ultimately leading to the invention of the crime comic book genre. However, it got so bad that in December 1947, crime does not pay, poke fun at them with fake ads with jokey titles like crime ain't paying off lately, and of course, crime does not pay. However, Gleason would capitalize on the success of the crime genre by releasing a, com- a companion comic, Crime and Punishment, which they dedicated to the eradication of crime. Lev Gleason's personal life also picked up around this time as he married the, his third and final wife, Margaret Peggy Cawley Clark, on September 20, 1941. She was the daughter of poor Irish immigrants and lived at 110 Christoph Street in Greenwich Village. Clark was also a widow, her husband having committed suicide, and, would, and kept her main name after marrying Gleason. Both Gleason and Clark were progressive, progressive Democrats and anti-fascists, something that would soon become important when the United States entered World War II, as Lev Gleason decided to return the duty to the U.S. Army, and Peggy didn't stand in his way. On June 18, 1942, Private Lev Gleason reported for duty to the U.S. Army at Fort Jay at the Governor's Isle, New York. He would later be transferred to Miami Beach for basic training and later went to Chinute Field in Rantoul, Illinois to train in, in weather forecasting. There, Gleason interviewed for public relations duty and officer training. Considering his experience as a magazine and comic book publisher would be useful, but was not offered a position in the U.S. Army. His colleagues would be interviewed over it on October of 1942, pointing out that he was a model soldier and American patriot. Lev Gleason was eventually discharged as a corporal with Good Conduct Medal for Weather Service on March 3rd of 1943 after suffering a leg injury, Joe. And with that, we will conclude uh, this first part of the life of Lev Gleason. But join me again next week as uh, America enters World War II and um, his politics ramp up, which will soon have an effect on not only his, uh, his professional uh, comic book publishing career. Talk. Yeah, Thunder Talk. We're going all kinds of sideways with that sweet nerd junk. Woke nerd junk. It's topical. Political. Dare I say radical. We've got all your latest news and reviews. Hot music. And a whole lot of comedy. But it ain't for kids. Definitely mature content. So let's talk. Let's talk Thunder Talk. Thunder Talk is a proud member of the ESO Network. Now it is February 24th, 2022, time for the favorite comp of the week. The Human Target, uh, number five, by Tom King and Greg Smallwood, that finds uh, Christopher Chance continuing on the hunt of who poisoned him and is only giving him 12 days to live, this time with Ice arranging in a dinner with uh, Martian Manhunter, only for the Martian Manhunter to, of course, try a psychic attack against him, but it turns out Christopher Chance is prepared for that as he has some uh, psychic training on his own, and into some revealing uh, things about both Chance and the Manhunter. Tom King continues to write a great crime noir uh, mystery set in well, the DC Universe, but Christopher Chance is like a classic hard-boiled detective. Ice is turning into a brilliant femme fatale, and it's a great colorful list of characters who happen to be, well, members of the Justice League. And it just works out brilliantly, and the way they depict the psychic attack is so brilliant, because it's literally, it's at a dinner, but it takes place when he's passing the salt. And in that space of passing the salt, an entire arrangement of scenes about his past, Martin Manor's past, and so forth happen. And he also shows how Chance is able to use 
this as an opportunity to find out who it was who did uh, try to poison him. It was like one more clue in the mystery as he goes down the down the aisle. And it's matched brilliantly by uh, Greg Smallwood's uh, gorgeous Chris art with a nice noir feel to it, but it still has a nice comic book sense to it. Like every character is instantly recognizable, but looks great and gorgeous, particularly Ice. Ice is really getting a great revival in this uh, series. It makes you want to see more of her in the regular DC universe because, uh, unlike before, like she used to be more one of the obscure characters, but she's just a classic femme fatale. Works brilliantly in this uh, comic. I hope to see Laura in the regular mainstream series. Just, just that good. And frankly, all in all, Tom King when he does limited series like this. He's at his best. When he does like long-form stuff like he did with the Batman run, he probably went a bit too long on that one. But with nice, crisp runs like this, brilliant. So yeah, The Human Target, book five, is my favorite comic of the week. And well, surprise, surprise, an actual history episode again. Yes, after a long delay and a whole bunch of uh, other stuff, I finally got around to getting these issue, uh, new episodes delivered. And uh, yes, we'll, I have at least 10 in the bank so far, so we'll have at least 10 other episodes for better or for worse. I mean, who knows whether you like them or not, uh, but hey, I'm going to keep doing them because I enjoy this too much. And I'll keep going uh, to the next uh, season of Hiatus. But yes, welcome to Season 5 of the History Comics Podcast, beginning with, of course, this biography of the life of Liv Gleason. Join me again next week when we're going to be doing the concluding part of that. And until then, go out and enjoy yourself. Good comic book.